Hey, pastors, we know you love your clerical shirt because of what it means, but how does it feel? Under all those vestments, is it hot and sticky? Is it too tight, too loose, or just not comfortable? Wicking Vicar has the solution for you. The Performance Clerical Shirt, featuring four-way stretch to let you move and moisture-wicking fabric to keep you cool. Plus, it's machine washable and wrinkle-resistant. Visit wickingvicar.com and treat yourself to more stretch, more movement, and easy care. The Performance Clerical from wickingvicar.com. wickingvicar.com. Welcome to Concord Matters, a show seeking for Concord, agreement in Christian confession. Concord mattered to Jesus and Paul, and so it does to us also. Spend these next 60 minutes as we talk matters of Concord. Concord Matters, a program produced by the Christ-centered leader in confessional broadcasting, Worldwide KFUO. Online at KFUO.org. And welcome to Concord Matters, the show where we seek to be of one mind, that is, the mind of Christ. And to do that, Christ-confessing Concordians confer with the Book of Concord to conform what we believe, teach, and confess according to Scripture in our Lutheran Confession of the Faith. On today's show, we're talking about why Concord matters for missions, specifically looking at church planting and mission congregations. I'm your host, Pastor Sean Smith, pastor of Bethlehem Evangelical Lutheran Congregation in Mason City, Iowa, and my companion confessors in conversation about this matter today. In our second segment, we'll talk with Pastor Isaac Johnson, who is pastor of New Hope Lutheran Church in Charles City, Iowa, which is a mission congregation of the Iowa East District. But in our first segment here, we welcome the pastors of Circuit 23 of the Texas District, working with the new church start of Epiphany Evangelical Lutheran Church in Bastrop, Texas. Pastor Jason Casper, who is called to serve Mount Calvary in LaGrange, Texas. Pastor Nate Hill, who serves St. Michael's in Winchester, Texas. Pastor Dustin Beck, who serves Holy Cross in Warda, Texas. And Pastor Timothy Apple, who serves Grace in Smithville, Texas, and is also host of Sharper Iron here on KFUO. Guys, welcome back to Concord Matters. Thank you, Pastor Smith. Hello. Thanks for having us. Good morning. All right. Great to have all of you here with us. And today, taking the approach here of looking at missions which a lot of us, especially listeners to this show, probably know that our confessions are important for that work, for the mission work. And yet, I think there's also kind of this common understanding that's out there that I'd really like to push against with this episode today, and then also next week's episode as we talk with foreign mission partners, this idea that in mission work, we need to minimize or set aside, at least maybe for a time, our confession, our Lutheran confession of the faith. And so I just wanted to have these episodes to kind of take a look at how do our confessions inform what we do in our mission, not just in the everyday life of our congregations that have been established for years and that many of us have inherited, as a lot of you serve congregations like that, as I do, but also as we start a new mission congregation. And so if you guys would actually just begin by telling us how did this get rolling? Tell us about Epiphany. Tell us about the saints that worship there on Sunday and receive the Lord's divine gifts. Just tell us what's going on there at Epiphany. I'll get started by talking a little bit about the history. I serve in Smithville, as you mentioned, which is about 40 minutes to the east of Austin. And Bastrop is in between Smithville and Austin. Bastrop is the county seat of Bastrop County, which is where Smithville is. 
most of the traffic in our county flows from Smithville to Bastrop to Austin and not in the reverse direction. However, for about 10 years now, there has not been a congregation, a Lutheran Church, Missouri sending congregation in Bastrop. And so we did have faithful members coming from Bastrop to Smithville for a variety of reasons. We hadn't tried to start a church yet, but during the pandemic, we had some new LCMS folks move into Bastrop. They started attending Grace and Smithville, and they started asking me, Pastor, why isn't there a Missouri Synod congregation in Bastrop? And I said, that's a great question. And just as the pandemic continued, we actually had a few more folks move to Bastrop who were interested in starting an LCMS congregation there. And so they started having conversations with me and knowing that it would be difficult for me to serve a congregation in Bastrop full-time while also serving Smithville full-time. I started to talk to the brothers in the circuit and said, hey, we've talked about this in our circuit meetings before about the potential of starting a church in Bastrop. We've got some lay folks there who are interested in doing so. How would you like to be a part of that? Would you be willing to share pastoral responsibilities there? And so we started having those conversations. We started putting the word out to other area congregations that might have people commuting from Bastrop. Because if you don't come to Smithville, you could also go north to Elgin. You could go to Austin. There were folks from Bastrop making that commute each week. So we started to look for who might be interested in, in starting a, a congregation. And through that process, we gathered a group of lay folks. Actually, the, the lay folks probably gathered us is probably a better way of, of putting it. And we had had meetings. Uh, we started with, uh, so we put together some bylaws at the end of the previous calendar year in 2021. And we began worship services in Bastrop this past February. So that's at least a, a start to the history. Okay, so I'll, I'll jump in then. We're all sort of looking at each other. Who's going to talk now? I will. Uh, Pastor Casper, LaGrange, Mount Calvary. I actually had a Two members, well, one member and, a, and an interloper from Michigan who spends time with his brother during the winter months, who were also living in the Bastrop area. And they became part of this group, though they were not part of the initial crowd. And the same story was going on there. They lived in the Bastrop area, didn't find a church, of course, because there was not an LCMS church to attend. And so they found themselves in LaGrange. And LaGrange is a little further out yet. We're about 30 minutes away from the Bastrop area. I'm one of the more distant points among the four of us from the door-to-door -door travel. And these guys started to get involved in that also. Uh, this was, of course, after we had all started engaging and talking about how to do this. Historically, you know, for me personally, I've been heavily interested in mission planting within the LCMS for most of my life. Among these men, I am the, I'm the baby pastor at only three years. However, I am the gray beard of the bunch, which is an odd combination of things. This notion of planting churches is kind of what has kind of always been on my mind. And in various places, we've tried various things to get something off the ground. And I've seen several failures and several points of failure. And one of the things that we're doing at Bastrop is focusing in a different way, which I think is going to be much more effective in terms of planting a church, namely that it is centered around the Lutheran faith and the confessions and the worship life of the church as a primary central focus. And that is one of the missing elements in other things I've witnessed elsewhere throughout the United States. Yeah, Pastor Casper mentioned that he's been in the ministry for a little over three years. Um, I've only been in the area for just under three for years. For like a so, week or two less than me. You know, so I'm I'm the new guy in the neighborhood. And I, I really think that when we 
moved here to Central Texas, there was, uh, I don't know that it was a tipping point, but I think there was, this area was primed for a lot of things. I mean, there's a, a, as we've talked about Pastor Smith several times when I've been on your show, there's a Lutheran high school that's just six years off the ground now. There are lots of things that are going on that are changing in terms of this area. It's a great time for ministry in Central Texas. And so I think that it was almost sort of a, just a perfect storm of things coming together of the right people leaving the larger city of Austin and moving out to Bastrop or the right people who were, you know, coming into Pastor Apple's doors at Grace and Smithville and saying, you know, can we do a church? We, we just got this idea of having a church there in Bastrop. I mean, Bastrop's a city of 10,000 people. It's the biggest city between where we live in Warda, which is not even a hundred people. And, uh, and between Austin, I mean, Bastrop is the big city going that direction. And so it just makes sense that that would be in existence. And so when we got here, uh, we were probably just here a couple of months and it came up at a circuit meeting. Hey, you know, we've got some families at Bastrop. I don't think it was really in a serious way at that time. But then as the other pastors have mentioned, as we came out of the pandemic, it became something that we were seriously discussing. And then God be praised that it just sort of snowballed into this wonderful thing where we're serving folks the Lord's Supper each and every Sunday morning. And, uh, you know, the people are, uh, are starting to hear about us. They're starting to learn a little bit more about the fact that we exist. And if I can jump in for a minute, I think something Pastor Apple said earlier on I'd like to expound upon. He had mentioned it was perhaps that the lay people gathered us oh, yeah. rather than us gathering the lay people. Um, one of the things that I think is interesting about the way this mission congregation has gotten started is it is a very different model. We have four different pastors who are of one mind, and that's really how Concord yeah. is very important for us as four of us. We spent hours together in a room talking about how we would approach things similarly in our worship practice on Sunday morning. But our agreement in faith with our, our lay leaders is equally, if not maybe even in some ways, more important. And what we've seen there is the pastoral leadership and the lay leadership of the congregation, each really embracing their roles and running with their responsibilities that make the most sense and are rightly ordered for them to take. So the laity have been very wonderful in deferring to the pastors on questions of theology, worship practice, etc. But they are taking the ball and running with it as far as the on-the-ground mission work of the congregation, outreach into the community at community events, the very practical steps of bylaws and an order within the church. And I think in a sense, some people might think if you're doing a confessional Lutheran church plant, that's going to look like sort of a very clerical type of model that elevates the pastors perhaps very highly. But what I've seen in it is it has this wonderful balance that we reflect in the LCMS of lay and clergy leadership that's been a part of our history for quite some time, that we all work very hard within the vocations in which we're asked to serve in the church. If I can jump in on that as well, just to, to add to that, one of the things that I've noticed is being a part of Epiphany is to see the way that the Spirit is the one who grows and gathers mm -hmm. his church together. We didn't come together as some sort of mission plant dream team. And we didn't go out and, and pick the exact people like, we want you, you, and you, because we know we're, you're going to do the best job. Rather, this was the Spirit simply gathering his people together around word and sacrament, as Pastor Casper mentioned, to keep that central is so important because the Spirit's the one who gathered us together in the first place. He's going to continue to do his work of gathering through his word and his sacraments. And I love that you're both bringing that out. 
the confessions talk about the fact that the church is that assembly of saints in which the gospel is purely taught and the sacraments are correctly administered. And that's exactly where we began as Epiphany. You know, the first time that we gathered together for worship, it wasn't like a, you know, well, we're going to withhold the sacrament because we're not sure if you're, if you're Lutheran, if you're ready. We have a very clear closed communion statement right from the beginning. We, uh, we offer that in a way that is inviting, but at the same time explains the fact that we take God's word seriously. And so we started in that place, but I really feel like the fact that we started with the divine service, the fact that we started with the Lord's Supper every Sunday, that starts you in the best place because that's what the church is. That's what it exists to be. And so it's not just a gathering of people in which, you know, every effort is to bring in more people so that they can bring in more people and then they can bring in more people. But instead, the emphasis is the fact it's the body and blood of Christ here given and shed for you for the forgiveness of your sins. Uh, so whether you're serving a church that's 150 years old or whether you're serving Epiphany that's been around for, you know, just a handful of months, in either of those circumstances, the important thing is still always going to be Jesus. Uh, I think that that is what is so beautiful about this hybrid model, because we're not exactly, it's not exactly a daughter congregation. And we talked with several church planters when we were in the process of getting this started, who were at large churches. Who thought this was a little peculiar. They, they said, well, what you're doing is a little different, because what we do is we just carve out money in the budget. We call a pastor and say, you're going to plant a church here. And we give him his money and his benefits, and we send him over and he plants a church over there. And what we're doing is quite different from that because it's, it is this team effort where you have four pastors, as, as Pastor Hill very well put it, you know, we are of one mind with each other. We, we sit down and we talk and when we have issues that come up or when we have, you know, so this was a question that I was asked on Sunday, you know, these things, we're in communication about them constantly, which is just such a helpful thing. Uh, but we're in this, this strange area of this isn't a district plant. This isn't a daughter congregation. It's something different. Um, and I don't even know what we would, how we would describe that, what we would call this new, different, strange thing. Well, I think it, for lack of a better name, it's, it's rightly probably identified as a, as a circuit plant. Yeah. I because so. there, most of the congregations in the circuit are technically involved in this. And that's kind of the way that it's moving. It, and it is, it is very interesting and unusual and different. It, it, and part of it has to do with our proximity because yeah. we're also very, very close together. The city of Bastrop is so close to us. So there's all this physical location stuff. And then the other thing is, because the four of us get along very well individually as human beings, and also as pastors in ministry, that makes this thing very smooth for us to just look down the road and say, oh, well, yeah, we can help them out. Uh, yeah. The time frame, actually, that's another key feature of this whole thing. The time issue. Mm. All of us do worship services at very nearly the same time on Sunday morning, either Bible class first, then church, or then church, then Bible class. But we do this 9 a.m. worship time frame idea, and so it's easy for all three of us, all four of us, three of us, all three of you, <laughs> I'm not counting myself apparently, to go immediately from our churches over to Bastrop to serve them at 11.30 a.m. They have a consistent worship time that is a Sunday morning worship time, yeah. and they do it every single week. They have four different men coming through the pulpit, but their consistency of time and location is really pivotal to how they do that. That's actually probably a good pivot point to get into the where thing at some point, right? Yeah. Well, I just wanted to play off on one other thing, too, as we're talking about this being a different model. One of the things I've noticed is that when someone is tasked as an individual, whether that's a pastor who is on the payroll of a large congregation or whether it's someone with, you know, mission funds from a district, they're on a timeline. Yeah. And it's 
it's an external pressure point yes. that they have to have that leads to, in, in my mind, sometimes a little bit of desperation of saying, I've got to gather a group yeah. of a certain size or this is not going to work or the funds that have been invested in us will have been in vain. One of the things that I like about this model is none of the pastors depend on this congregation for our families' livelihoods. And that enables us to look and say, the Lord will provide the growth if he wills it. And I believe he does will it. I mean, we could be wrong. We can never exactly look into the mind of God. But whether this particular mission plant is a success or not is up to the Lord's will, and it will grow by the means that the Lord gives for the growth to come. And we can sit back and say after, you know, six months or however long we've been at this, yeah, we have a group of, say, maybe maybe 40 people, I would say, yeah. um, not that are constantly 40 every Sunday, but that are, are fairly regular attenders. And we can say that is the size God wills us to be at this point. And it's just a great sense of peace to me to know that we can rely on on the means that he gives. Well, logistically, this is a group that can manage their assets and provide for their needs. They can cover all the expenses because they're paying us to preach, even though we don't require them to do that. That's one of the things that they wanted to do in the right. way that they set up. They're paying their musician, their organist to come play every Sunday. And they have a space that they are renting, which is also really useful. The Seventh-day Adventist Church in Bastrop that's allowing them to rent that space. These are all long-term solutions that can be the way they are as long as they need to be. And they're able to maintain their own balance sheet from week to week, which is going really well. I completely agree with that. And it's honestly, it's something that an angle that I hadn't considered before is the fact that there is that pressure oftentimes in church planting. And that pressure just simply doesn't exist for us. We really are just living the church's worship life together. And so everything else that we get to do, I mean, one of the things that's been so amazing is that the congregation has, the laity especially, has gotten so involved in community events. They're at the 4th of July parade and festival, you know, handing things out that have epiphany service times and address and contact information on it. You know, big fans. It's like 110 degrees in Texas right now. What what an accidentally brilliant idea that was. Yeah. Handing out fans to folks so they can wait, you know, uh, cool themselves off, handing out bottles of water and just everything that they can do to try to get their name recognition out there. I think there's even been talk of like sponsoring a little league team, you know, uh, everything like that, that they can do. And they're just they're they're so excited about the prospect of this church taking root that it really has been just, I think I speak for all four of us when I say that it's just been such a blessing. And it is at no time has it been a burden for us to be a part of this because it really is just the very same thing that I know all of us love as being pastors about Sunday morning is Sunday mornings. That's the best day of the week. That's the best hour, you know, a couple of hours is when we gather together and we deliver the goods. We get to, you know, be there with smiles on our face saying, Jesus died for your sins. We get to uh, preach those words. And so it's the very same thing. And, you know, if we have a a particularly uh, well-attended Sunday at Epiphany, praise God for that. And if we have one where we have several different families that are out of town that are usually there every single Sunday, praise God for that, because it's wonderful to come into a place where there is not that pressure to succeed or fail, but instead just simply to deliver the gifts and let the Spirit do the rest. I love that insight, Pastor Hill. Thanks. If I could jump in, you guys, excellent what you've been covering there, and you've already been covering in a lot of ways how the confessions, uh, Pastor Casper, you specifically mentioned how the confessions are a part of this mission start, and the Lutheran confession of that faith 
is a part of this mission start as opposed to maybe some other mission starts that you've been part of. And as you guys went on and talked there, you know, you've highlighted several things that let's just say if we just stick with the Augsburg Confession, which we just finished as a series here on Concord Matters, you know, I heard highlighted in there Article 5, right? The ministry and how that has informed the way that you guys have approached this. You got seven and eight highlighted in there. I believe Pastor Beck did that really well in highlighting, look, this is the church and this is what the church is. That's Article 7 and 8 of the Augsburg Confession, right? Of course, you got Article 10 on the Lord's Supper and how important and vital that is to this congregation. Also, Article 24 on the Mass and the liturgical nature being examined and practicing closed communion. All of those things are things that we highlighted as we went through all of those various articles and were reflected in what you said there. And I like how you said that, you know, as pastors, you're always checking in on this anyway and talking about it with one another, as we should within our circuits and as a church body as well. But you also highlighted quite well how this was really the laity gathered you guys. And it sounded like a few of you at least had people in your congregation saying, look, we want a mission congregation where we're living. We want a congregation where we can gather around these gifts there. Uh, Of course, you know, as pastors, a lot of times, you know, we can take it for granted that we are confessional, right? We're trained in these and people sometimes even think about the confessions as just a book for pastors. And of course, CFW Walther, our first president, pushed against that idea and said, no, it should be in every Lutheran home. How have the confessions been important for the laity in working with you guys and forming this church plant congregation here? From the outset, we started a Bible study on the small catechism. We were Lutherans coming together, but it's always good, as you know, Pastor Smith, to bring up the small catechism. I can't remember the percentage you assign to it these days, but it's something like If Lutherans would know their small catechism, what, 95% of the problems we have could be avoided? Something like that, I think you— (laughs) 92.7%. Thank you. Thank you. So we started with the small catechism because it is is important that we know what we believe, teach, and confess as Lutherans. And in that same regard, in addition to specifically studying the small catechism, one of the questions that we've been considering among ourselves, both as pastors and laity together as a congregation, is— why start a Lutheran congregation in Bastrop in the first place? There are a lot of other Christian congregations there. Why does Bastrop need a congregation of the Lutheran Church Missouri Synod? And that's been a helpful way of clarifying what it is about our Lutheran doctrine that is so distinctive and so very needed that Article 4, which I don't think you mentioned, but that's the article upon which the church stands or falls, that we are saved by grace through faith in Jesus Christ. And that central article the clear proclamation of it is so very needed in the towns where we served and in Bastrop as well. And so why start a Lutheran congregation? Because the world needs that proclamation of the gospel. Yeah, and I think also the Lutheran confession of the faith is especially compelling in a place like Bastrop just due to its sort of ecclesiastical history and and makeup of its population. We are sort of in the Bible belt, so to speak, or a little under the Bible belt. And We have plenty of non-denominational Baptist churches around, which means built into the cake of people's religious psyche is a respect for the Word of God here in a way that's maybe not present everywhere. There are a lot of people out here that would say, I believe what the Bible believes. But we also have a growing Roman Catholic influx of people into the population as well, which understands the sacraments to an extent, if not, you know, just the entirely gracious nature of them. So when you put those two things together in a little bit of the sort of cultural, religious background, the Lutheran Confession of the Faith, I think, is one that is 
very compelling to people who have that type of understanding. They understand I understand what the sacraments are to some extent because I grew up Catholic, but it's never felt like a gracious thing to me as much as something I've had to do. Or I understand that God's Word teaches the truth, but I've never understood how to properly orient myself to the Scriptures via law and gospel. And I think this confession of the faith comes in as really a balm to people in that kind of a background. Nicely said. That was wonderful. That dovetails into the functional thing that's going on in Bastrop, which is the population shift. Uh, Pastor Apple touched on this a little bit, how there are folks who are coming in from the Austin area. He's short-selling it to a large degree. The population movement into Bastrop is really enormous. There's a tremendous flood of folks that are coming into that area. And because they're just flowing in, this kind of I can't remember who it was. I want I want to say maybe Scott Brusick or someone like that, one of these larger church guys from the, the Illinois district area, talked about how his church, which was this tiny little church, ended up growing into a massive congregation, and someone asked him how. And again, if I'm misquoting who it is, you'll have to forgive me on that. But the notion is, someone asked him, how did you manage to, to have a giant church in this situation? And his answer was really quite simple. You just go where people are headed before they get there and build a church. And that's kind of what's happening in, in this right. pastor mission plant. This church, I suspect someday is going to be a central congregation in the Circuit 23 area because of the population center it serves. It's going to end up being a very successful large congregation simply because there are a ton of people there. And there are a lot of folks who need to hear the gospel, who haven't had the opportunity to, who are coming from faithful Lutheran backgrounds, from all these other situations. They're coming to a town where they don't have a church and... Lo and behold, we just put a sign up on the highway recently, and sure enough, someone walked in the door because they were from a Lutheran background, were looking for a Lutheran church, hadn't seen one yet. Oh, there's a sign, and in they come. I think that's certainly the hope, is that it'll eventually be a self-sustaining, just a wonderful blessing to the area. And everyone's making great points about the fact that this area is changing, that it's growing, and that that Lutheran presence is needed there. And that's that goes down to why uh, our Lutheran confessions matter is because this is the true exposition of God's Word. If we didn't believe these things, we wouldn't be doing this. If we were trying to, you know, say, well, one day we'll teach you the Lutheran confessions, but right now you're not ready for them, or something like that. We're going to bring you in with just friendly smiles and everything else. That's, I mean, the folks in Bastrop are friendly, like at Epiphany. They're friendly. But I think that the importance is that everybody that's there on Sunday mornings they understand that there is something worthwhile for them. And it's not, you know, winsome pastors. It's not, you know, the friendly faces. It's none of that stuff because there's a lot of other churches in the Bastrop area that have, you know, better looking pastors than us and uh, more impressive facilities than ours, you know, and everything else. But the reason that this place is important, the reason that it matters like it does is because this is the place where we have God's true unadulterated word. And I'm not trying to come from a place of pride when I say that, but with thanksgiving that God's word has been revealed and that, you know, 500 years ago, the, the confessors were able to sit down and to say, this is what God's word, what it teaches. And so this is what we, as you said in your introduction, Pastor Smith, believe, teach, and confess. This is how we live that faith out. And as Pastor Casper uh, just mentioned, we go and we live that faith out in a new and different place. And then God grants us the people that will come and hear that. Indeed. And it's, a, it's an easier conversation. When, we, when yeah. we lead with Lutheranism and the confessional understanding of the faith and that God yeah. and Jesus died for your sins, and here's the way he delivers it to you. All that stuff is such wonderful stuff to have. When we lead with that, 
it, it avoids a later conversation than some sort of a almost bait and switch where we lead with something different than what we believe teach and confess and then try to shift later on. Well, let's just be who we are right up front. Right. And we can be friendly and engaging and winsome and all those things. And we can also be truly Lutheran at the same time. And I think this is really key, right? And what you're highlighting here, because, you know, in some ways it could easily be discounted what you're doing in terms of missions here. I mean, you know, you're in a growing area. Texas as a state is growing in terms of population. A lot of people are moving there. Business is flourishing. The economy is flourishing. You know, Bastrop, as you highlighted, is one of those places in Texas where that's happening. And so you started this congregation with a bunch of already Lutherans who wanted this congregation in this growing area. And I think that in terms of, you know, once again, just kind of the common thinking in terms of what mission work is, a lot of people might just discount those things and say, well, you aren't really doing missions when you have people who already want to be Lutheran, right? And some might think of missions as, you know, just going to those who aren't Lutheran or aren't Christian. But as I set up, that's why I really wanted to do this episode today, and also the episode that will be coming up next week and talking with our foreign Lutheran church partners and the mission work that they're doing, because I think the key that you're highlighting here is that we are going to be Lutheran as we reach out to others, whoever they are and wherever we are. And that's really something that we have to offer because, as you said, you know, there are friendly people and nice facilities or whatever else may be offered everywhere. But what we have to offer that community is the place in that community where the work that God has given to his church on earth is done according to his will. And that is what the church has always done in missions. You can see it in scripture and it will always serve as the mission of the church. So, you know, to those who may be new to that, whether they're completely new to the Christian faith or coming from another tradition where they don't really have the truth of that, but it also needs to be there for those who are in the Christian faith and need to be fed and nourished with God's word and sacraments in their truth and purity and want to raise their families in that as well. And so I like how you also highlighted, uh, I believe it was Pastor Beck, about how you started a Lutheran high school there about six years ago. And I think that really reflects our ancestors in the LCMS too. You know, people were coming over from Germany. Yeah, they were Lutheran. They were bringing their Lutheran confession of the faith with them, but they needed churches to nourish that faith. So as they set up their farms, they built churches and they set up schools and they taught the faith to their children. And some of you serve some of those congregations. Uh, it was the Wendish that are in your area that came over and settled there in central Texas. But I'm sure that it isn't 100% Wendish in those pews every Sunday anymore. Just like if we look at the LCMS broadly today, it isn't just the Germans and the Wendish and the Norwegians and the Scandinavians and all the other various groups that originally came over as Lutherans. Just like the early church didn't stay with the original folks from Jerusalem either. As they were dispersed, they took the church with them and yes, God granted growth to new believers as they went, but the church exists to deliver the faith, which as our Lutheran confession keeps so clear, especially the third article, that is where the Holy Spirit calls, gathers, enlightens, and sanctifies the whole Christian church on earth and keeps it with Jesus Christ in that one true faith. And so I thank you so much for accenting that so well for us here today. And I just commend all of you pastors and the laity there at this new confessional mission congregation of Epiphany in Bastrop, Texas. Thank you so much. It's been an honor having you join us for Concord Matters today. Thank you. Our pleasure. Thanks for having us. Thanks, Pastor Smith. All right. When we come back from break, we will talk with Pastor Isaac Johnson, who serves a mission congregation up here in my area in north central Iowa that has a bit of a different story of how it got started. But we'll once again see how this true biblical doctrine in our Lutheran confessions forms and shapes his work, even though in some ways it's a different kind of mission congregation, 
It is still the church in that place. So please join us for that right after this. You're listening to Concord Matters on KFUO. Hello, friends. I'm Pastor Phil Boo, host of Thy Strong Word. Each weekday morning at 11 a.m., join me and a guest pastor as we explore God's Word, which strengthens our faith and guides our lives. You can listen over the air, online at kfuo.org, or through your favorite podcasting app. Just search for Thy Strong Word, only from KFUO. Christ for you, anytime, anywhere. Welcome back to Concord Matters as we continue talking today about why Concord Matters for missions, specifically looking at mission congregations and church planting. And in the first segment of the show, we talked with pastors in the Texas district who have started a church plant congregation, specifically in a growing area of Texas, just outside of Austin in Bastrop, Texas, there with the work that's being done at Epiphany Lutheran. In the second segment of the show, I'd like to welcome in here Pastor Isaac Johnson, who serves in Charles City, Iowa, and he is working with a mission congregation. He's called to serve, actually, a mission congregation that has a little bit different story than what we heard about what's going on in Texas, and you're going to kind of find this as a common theme. We could do endless amount of interviews, right, with all sorts of mission congregations and church plants and see how they get started and why they get started and things like that. And so I think there's some value in talking about at least a couple different ones here of how these mission congregations came to be, and then how our confessions inform the mission work that they're doing. Again, kind of examining that idea that I think probably pervades for a lot of folks is that we, we minimize or even maybe set aside our Lutheran confession when we're doing mission work. But that's something that would be quite foreign to the Lutheran reformers, certainly, uh, but also just the church historic in general, that it's really our confession of faith that leads the way in mission work, right? Uh, we kind of all know that, but then I think in practice, sometimes there's that temptation, especially in our contemporary culture, to minimize it or set it aside. So, Pastor Johnson, as we bring you in here on the second segment, just begin by telling us a little bit about the mission congregation of New Hope there in Charles City, Iowa. Yeah, sure. Thanks for having me. Yeah, New Hope in Charles City, so northeastern Iowa, has a really interesting background, background story. Uh, They're not a group of Lutherans from a larger congregation. This isn't a pastor who came in and found a bunch of unchurched people. But it's a bunch of people that were fleeing what I guess you could call kind of a confessional mess. Uh, So these people began just with a small group of people, just eight or so, and at the time they were at an ELCA church, and they, the church itself, was deciding whether or not they were going to go along with the ELCA's promotion and acceptance endorsement of homosexual marriage and homosexual ordination. And so the church was quite split on the matter, and, you know, some in the leadership anyway, and as well as other other members were, they could not accept that and said, well, God's word explicitly says that homosexuality, the act of it, that it's a sin and uh, needs to be repented of and should not be endorsed by the church. And others were saying, look, you need to go along with this. So eventually 
anyway, long story short, that church, of course, had stayed in the ELCA promoting homosexuality. And there was a group of, I'm not sure exactly how many people left, but more than 10, probably less than 30 left that ELCA church. And then many of them went separate ways, joined different uh, more Bible-believing churches, I guess you could say, uh, use kind of a a wishy-washy term for it. Uh, But there was a group of them, again, about eight or ten souls, that sought out the Missouri Synod. A couple of them had been Missouri Synod in the past, and there wasn't a Missouri Synod church in Charles City, so they joined the ELCA church, and they had been kind of longing to return, as they've reported to me. Uh, So, interestingly, they were in town, and there was a guy from an E-Free church a really nice guy by the name of uh, Pastor Mike Downey, and he supported them, said, hey, you guys should make and join the LCMS and get an LCMS church here in town. And basically, these people then, shortly after that, ended up becoming a member congregation in the Lutheran Church, Missouri Synod. And it was interesting how their experience of getting into it, because before they joined, of course, they wanted to figure out what was going on And this is kind of where the notion of confession comes in, first with the confession of the scriptures, right? So they had a Missouri Synod pastor, and I believe it was Pastor Bruce Coldwasser, who's kind of been there since the beginning, and he's he's a pastor in Osage, Trinity, Osage, Iowa, which is in the area. He came and he did a Bible study for them. And the president of our congregation, I always remember him saying this, that it was like water for a thirsty man, hearing a teaching which showed reverence for the word of God. So, yeah, that's the inception of the congregation. They continued, I would say, about 10 years. Uh, So it was 2012 when they joined the LCMS, about uh, eight, no, let's say eight years, yeah, because I came in 2021, where they did not, they weren't able to support their own pastor, and actually they're still not currently in that situation. But in about 2020, the Iowa District East decided to sponsor New Hope as a mission congregation. And that was what opened up the opportunity for them to call me. And so I'm actually their first full-time pastor. Uh, there's a lot to be said about their perseverance for sticking, uh, sticking in it for six, eight years before they had their own kind of full-time pastor. And they're loving it right now. Yeah, it's interesting as you talk about that story, just things that I've experienced in my 12 years of being a pastor now that I didn't really know was going on, you know, as a young person coming up in the church and things. But some of these things have developed too, is that there's kind of this, uh, the line in the sand, if you will, for Mm -hmm. a lot of ELCA members Mm -hmm. that, you know, they they went along with some things that call into question scripture, right? So women's ordination has been around, what, since the 70s or or maybe longer than that, certainly before you and I were born, Mm -hmm. uh, for some of those predecessor bodies anyway that formed the ELCA, um, you know, have gone along with a few other things as well that call into question scripture, but kind of that line in the sand, if you will, is the matter of homosexuality and what scripture has to say about that. And, and also, you know, allowing clergy to be openly practicing of that, which scripture clearly calls sin. And so in my first congregation in Southern Indiana, I realized there were a lot of people kind of jumping ship from the ELCA then. And there we had a congregation in the same area. And so we were getting some, mm-hmm. um, but then we also see some loss sometimes and it makes us sad, right? Of those who really kind of want the LCMS to go that way. And yeah, they, they, they kind of go the other way. But 
as we're kind of looking at this mission congregation, so this is clearly a matter, as you say, of you know faithfulness to God's word mm-hmm. and the refreshing thing that that is to come to a church body that holds to that. But again, kind of from my own experience, when that was the line in the sand and they come over and they're like, ah, a Bible-believing church, right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. And then you kind of realize, well, there's some other matters that we have to work through. Again, like <laughs> some things that you are okay with, like women's ordination and so forth. And to kind of put it crassly, you know, I used to say, don't bring that mess over here, <laughs> you know, because then we're going to end up in the same boat. Uh, so talk about, you know, kind of how this, you know, so it began, this particular mission congregation began over a matter of confession, but talk about how our confession specifically of scripture continues to inform the work that you're doing with them. Yeah, well, let's start with that concept of the line in the sand. What exactly is that? Uh, I think maybe you could make an argument that things that are just irrevocably clear in the scriptures. Now, of course, we can argue about like, okay, there's a lot, maybe there's a lot more that's crystal clear than we're actually giving credit for. So the line in the sand, I think, sometimes is that perception of what is absolutely clear, you know, from scripture. I think more than that, it's what you're hinting at is this, uh, how culturally acceptable is this, right? Uh, so for instance, why was it homosexuality and not women's ordination and not open communion, other things that they, you know, that they had espoused or fellowship with, you know, anybody more or less? Uh, why wasn't it those things? And my only impression is that culturally speaking for that generation, it was kind of culturally taboo still for that generation to be homosexual. And so that was, I think, those two elements that draw that line in the sand, whether or not it's right. And of course, if it's cultural, it's certainly wrong, (laughs) especially if the scripture is clearly drawing the line somewhere else. So what I've kind of thought about it is they kind of got this confessional debt or this confessional backlog. But then when something so grossly offended against their consciences, um, which in this case was endorsement of homosexuality, they jumped ship and when they joined, they had both the joy and the sorrow of hearing the good news that maybe they heard when they're kids, you know, maybe 40, 50 years ago, the preacher who came into town was really trying to be faithful to the Bible. But now that's in many cases, just completely, completely abandoned. So they have this joyful aspect where they come in and they're like, yes, this is finally joyful, Bible believing, bold confession of the truth. And then there's this backlog of things that were not scriptural, but they endured or even accepted. I don't know exactly, you know, it's always different for each person in terms of where they drew the line. But they have this backlog of items that they accepted. They, they developed a sort of tolerance and acceptance for it, even though it wasn't biblical. So this is exactly where the confessions come in, because... Going through the confessions, you systematically go through the pillars of Christian doctrine. And here, I think the Augsburg Confession, you just really can't get better than that in terms of, like, you know, I think of Acts 20, for instance, where Paul is meeting with the Ephesian elders, and he says that he's innocent of the blood of all because he's declared, uh, he hasn't shrunk back from declaring to them the whole counsel of God. And I think the Augsburg Confession does a great job of the whole counsel of God in terms of just 
hitting all of the major pillars. So that was one of my first goals with the congregation. Uh, actually, Brian Saunders, president of Iowa District East, when he um, spoke with me when I was called, he said, they want to be Missouri Senate Lutherans in the worst way, meaning that there was a recognition of there was work to be done, right? They, they weren't quite there. So as I was considering that and got to know some of the people, I could tell that there was some false teaching that was latent in, in their core beliefs, not just, you know, surface stuff, but core beliefs about God. And so from last year, so I was there about a year, a little, yeah, exactly a year I was there. And then I started our weekly adult Bible study after church on the Augsburg Confession. And we just took up one article a week use some materials from CPH, but primarily what I did, I just used the scriptures that were referenced in the Augsburg Confession, exposited those scripture passages, went through exactly all the applications along with some historical introduction. But what I found is that every week there was, when we hit a new article, somebody's eyebrows were hitting the roof because it was, that's what we believe, right? And I don't mean in a bad way, but they were interested and they were convicted because they're thinking, okay, this is my confession. Do we believe that, right? So what was great and a summarizing term that I would use for the Augsburg Confession and why I think it's so essential at the inception of a congregation and not once they've ascended to some kind of level of faith where they can read the Augsburg Confession without losing their faith or something, right? But uh, why it's essential at the inception is it functioned for us as a diagnostic tool. It made it clear as day exactly what we needed to work on. And, you know, I think we don't give our people enough credit. Like, maybe they actually want to learn. And maybe they want to go deeper. Maybe they want to know exactly what they're getting into when they're here instead of kind of the wishy-washy, you know, we'll reserve the content for later, but actually never getting to it. Yeah, as you talk about that there, in my pastoral experience, just the congregations I've served, they've been mostly well-established, some of them like where I just previously served in Southern Illinois, all the way back to the very beginning of the Synod and those who came over from Germany settled in Southern Illinois. And, you know, you point out to them that in their constitutions, the congregational constitutions, it lists the documents of the Book of Concord, right? And Sometimes, if they're even aware of those at all, right, they don't really know what they say. And so I like to take the opportunity to teach them, right, and go through them like you did with your more newly established congregation. And the same reaction happens there, right? You know, kind of the, I think you said the the eyebrows hitting the ceiling, right, you know, the roof or whatever. And it's like, wait, that's what we believe? <laughs> like, when has this been? Oh, only since, you know, like the founding of this congregation <laughs> and since the Lutheran Reformation, right? But yet at the same time, kind of like you said, for them being established first, it's like a, you know, a drink of fresh water mm-hmm. of, oh, this is what scripture teaches. And we actually believe that and we don't have to excuse it or set it aside. That is refreshing in a way, whether that's for a new congregation or for a well-established congregation. I think this is kind of the perpetual nature of why we should confess in every age, right, and continue to look at Scripture. So talk about how kind of the ongoing work that's going on there at New Hope in terms of the confessions, how this is being received. Is it still a, you know, a drink of fresh water for them in a sense, or 
or what are some of the challenges and struggles that are being faced now? Yeah, well, I think honestly that the use of the confessions and that reaction that the people got of the eyebrows going up or being surprised or being convicted or realizing that there's something essential that needs to be arranged in their soul to be in accord with the Word of God, that, you know, it's honestly just kind of an extension of preaching. I mean, when you are preaching in a meaningful way and the Holy Spirit is reorganizing people's souls (laughs) according to the Word of God, that that's a kind of a, it's, that's the same sensation, I would say, to use the term sensation. I think that's the same activity that is going on as when we were, you know, doing the Book of Concord. I think that the thing about the Book of Concord, and especially the Augsburg Confession at this stage in the congregation, but truly the whole thing, is that you're systematically going through the most important topics. And so, I mean, I would say that there's two roles or two things, aspects about the ongoing work of the confessions in this mission congregation. One is for the people and one is for me as a pastor. Uh, For the people, you know, a member of the congregation said when they first saw that we were doing the Augsburg Confession for the Bible study and that it was going to go for a long time, (laughs) they thought, oh man, this is going to be dry. Augsburg Confession, you know. But People once, think that about this show all the time. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah that's right. Uh, but once we got into it, the thing is that they actually do care what they believe. And so once they got into it, they began to truly embrace what was going on in the Augsburg Confession as something that they were lacking in their previous church but also in Christianity and in, even in the culture is just boldly speaking the truth. And I think that's in many cases exactly what that water for the thirsty man is, that people and so often the culture are not boldly speaking truth, not just your opinion as good as mine, but this is God's opinion and anyone who disagrees is condemned. Man, you just don't hear that from <laughs> anybody. And it's actually unbelievably refreshing just to hear somebody take a stance on anything. And so the confessions systematically do that with every aspect of Scripture, and it's especially on the chief doctrines in the Augsburg Confession, and they loved to hear it. And this is the the report that I've gotten from some of them. They loved to hear the boldness of speaking the truth And so I think that is the ongoing effect for them. They see it as a, again, that bold confession of biblical truth in the face of opposition, which is exactly where they are at, because when they go into the community, they are in the face of obvious cultural opposition. And many of them experience that. When some of them left their church, they lost friends. Some of them were insulted. Some of them lost business for the sake of the word of God. And so the confessions are equipping them to be able to boldly speak the truth when they once again encounter suffering for the sake of Jesus Christ, his kingdom, and and the proclamation of his word. So I think that's the ongoing focus and function for them, equipping them with the truth to boldly confess. For me, uh, it has an ongoing function, and, and its role primarily has to do with the conscience for a pastor in a new congregation. Because if everybody there has been a lifelong Lutheran, I think there's this trap. It is a trap to think this, but you're all Lutherans, so you know this, right? So 
I'm going to assume that you know what I'm talking about when I talk about justification. I assume you know what I'm talking about when I talk about the ministry, baptism, Lord's Supper, repentance, etc. And we probably ought not do that habitually <laughs> with our congregations who are lifelong Missouri Senate members. But for me in a congregation of, I think I have one person who's a lifelong Lutheran and of about, say, 25 or 30 on a Sunday, everyone else was something else their whole lives or nothing. The function there of the confessions is kind of what I mentioned from Acts 20 to ensure that I am teaching them all of the essential doctrines that they need to know, right? Uh, Paul's, to go back to Acts 20, he said, and he just boldly declares this, I'm innocent of all your blood. There's a paraphrase. (laughs) Because look, I did not shrink back from proclaiming to you the whole counsel of God. And so, especially with a new congregation, but I mean, of course, this applies throughout the pastoral experience. It is good for my conscience that I am not being negligent of something that people need, an essential element for the faith of someone. I'm not being negligent of that, but hitting them all and making sure that the conversation is at least open and going on all of these topics, you know, so that along with Paul, I can boldly declare that I'm innocent of the blood of all. Because in the end, that's not an automatic, right? Of course, there's redemption, forgiveness in Christ. And there's also this reality that if Paul had failed to boldly proclaim the truth to them, the elders in Ephesus might have fallen prey to idolatry, and then he would not have been able to say, I'm innocent of your blood, right? So it is a relief to the conscience to know that the doctrines, the foundational, essential doctrines of the Christian faith are being proclaimed to these people. Yeah, I think that's a helpful thing, especially, again, as you say, as pastors, that we keep that in mind. Because I know I've certainly made this mistake many times where I just assume my people know these things, right? Mm -hmm. Didn't you grow up with this? But then I think about myself that was baptized and raised in the Lutheran Church Mm -hmm. Missouri Synod in an LCMS home. And there's even times in my life where I'm like, wait a minute, you didn't really get this at different (laughs) times in your life. And so you needed someone to teach you. And so thank God for pastors who kind of examine that and say, no, like this is the responsibility of confessing in every age. And then I think also the great benefit, again, as you highlighted there, of that there are people who actually love this. And we heard that reflected in the first segment with the guys at Epiphany Lutheran down in Bastrop, Texas, that, you know, why in this age when the Christian church, generally speaking, in America is shrinking, like every denomination is experiencing this, right? Why do we need a Lutheran mission congregation in a place like Charles City that, demographically speaking, it's not really growing, right? Mm -hmm. You know, uh, Bastrop, Texas, as we talked in the first half, is. But what is that there for? Well, it's for the true confession of God's word, right? And that's what we have to offer. That's what we do when we confess the faith, right? Yeah, without a doubt, that is, I mean, to use a probably not so appropriate marketing term, it's what we have to offer Charles City is a bold confession, uncompromising confession, because even among churches which do, to some extent, insist on the inerrancy or the primacy of Scripture for faith and life, there's still kind of this uh, wishy-washy proclamation of that truth in the community, not necessarily insisting on these truths for their salvation. 
and Charles City is in great need of the bold proclamation of the truth, countercultural bold proclamation of the truth. And these people are going out, and, and it's a catechesis, right? As I boldly proclaim by God's grace from the pulpit, then that word, the boldness of that word in love, is being imprinted upon them, then they can boldly proclaim in the community. And that's exactly what Charles City needs, and it's what we're there to do. So kind of picking up on that then, as you talk about this is you know, what we have to offer, kind of a right. marketing term, but, but it is what we have to People offer. People have a we, need. Absolutely. Um, as we kind of see that, as, as we saw in our first segment too, that you know, kind of both of these mission congregations that we're talking with here in this episode today, kind of start with, at some level, those who are mm -hmm. Lutheran, uh, coming from an EOCA mm -hmm. congregation and things like that. But, you know, again, as we generally think about missions, just kind of in the church broadly, we tend to think about those who are outside of the faith entirely, or, you know, certainly we would even include those who have corrupted teachings of the faith, which is part of how your congregation comes in and all this as well. But as we look at that kind of mission to the outside, as you will, I like how you accented, this is what Charles City needs, mm -hmm. and this is what you are providing them. Have you seen any kind of response to that confessional mission work that uh, New Hope has there in Charles City? Yes, I have. What I said initially is that the president of my congregation said that hearing this bold proclamation of the truth of God's word was like water for thirsty man. And the truth is that there are Christians and also non-Christians, all of whom are thirsting. They're like in Acts 17, they're like groping for God. They have this gaping hole, and they're so tired of not being able to believe anything they hear in the news or read that if they hear anything that's just true, it is a breath of fresh air. That, that's too weak. It is a release, and it's a relief from the oppression of falsehood and relativism. And so it is not just a few people in the ELCA, but I think at the core of our culture in America, speaking the truth is a need that God has created people with, right? You shall know the truth, and the truth will set you free. These people are imprisoned of falsehood, and they are released and set free when they hear the bold proclamation of the truth, even if that can be challenging or even painful at times. Uh, and so, yeah, of the people who have joined both in teaching and preaching, people who have joined have made that direct observation to me probably more frequently than than any other time is that this sounds like you think it's true. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and so, yep, that need is being uh, met, thanks be to God, in Charles City, and by his grace will continue to be done both in Charles City and throughout the world. I think that's well said by our guest here in the second segment, Pastor Isaac Johnson, who's pastor of New Hope Lutheran Church Mission Congregation of the Iowa East District in Charles City, Iowa. Thank you so much for joining us for Concord Matters today. Thank you. And thank you also to the pastors and Circuit 23 of the Texas District that joined us in the first segment of the show. And thank you to all of those engaged in mission work of the congregation, confessional mission work of our church body. And next week, we'll take a look at why Concord Matters for Missions, taking a look at our foreign mission partners and talking about how, once again, our Lutheran confession isn't set aside, but leads them in that work. It's not just crazy 
you know, fifth generation Lutherans in the Missouri Synod that care about our Lutheran confession, but it is also our foreign mission partners as well. And so we look forward to talking about that next week. We also want to thank our underwriter, Wicking Vicar. Check out their performance clerical wear at wickingvicar.com. And thank you also, dear listener, for stopping by today. And until next time, keep confessing, church.